Welcome to another ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Brian Clark. This week, we'll round up all the events from the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. We'll hear from the doubles finalist, Austin Krychek, who teamed up with his fellow American, Steve Johnson. We'll also find out how Casper Ruud was able to win ATP titles in three consecutive weeks. But first, let's look back on the Cincinnati final, as well as all the other talking points from a very eventful week. To do that, we'll join our match commentators, Chris Bowers and Lucy All. Second serve from Rublev. Sverev waits for this. The serve is to the backhand, deep to the backhand of Rublev. Forehand from Sverev. Backhand from Rublev into the net. Sverev picks up his fourth title of the year, his fifth Masters 1000, and establishes himself as one of the form players going into the US Open. 11 matches unbeaten since Wimbledon. But what? A disappointment as a final, and yet what a statement from Zverev. Well, a week that's had so many good three-set matches, in particular the two semi-finals, ends with a final that was less than an hour, Lucy. I know, 59 minutes, and I mean, it was just all about Zverev, wasn't it? He came through just losing five games against Rublev, who just didn't really get started out there. It wasn't a good match from him, but I think a lot of that was down to the fact that Zverev played incredibly well, served ridiculously well. I mean, he didn't lose many points on his serve, and I mean, he got the early breaks, and, and that seemed to to really just knock Rublev even more sideways in, in the match. And, I mean, it was disappointing, wasn't it, for Rublev having had that epic win against Medvedev. But, I mean, credit to Zverev. He's certainly looking on form, full of confidence and, uh, well, perfect place to be going into the final Grand Slam of the year. I mean, when he won the Olympic gold medal, Zverev was asked about, well, do you think this will kickstart um, you know, the next two or three months for you? And he said, don't, don't talk about the next two or three months. I just want to savor this. So clearly that Olympic gold medal meant something special to him in the way that it hasn't, no other tournament has meant quite the same thing. And here he was in a tournament where he's never won a match prior to this year, basically steamrolling the whole thing, dropped one set in the whole week. I know, I mean, incredible. And I mean, he maybe shouldn't have dropped that one because he was setting a break up against Tsitsipas. And I mean, he said after his first match in the interview, he said when it was announced Zverev, the Olympic gold medalist, he had goosebumps. And I think that hit him. I think that helped him in that match. And also the fact, I mean, he's timing the ball so well. He likes the conditions here as well. They, they do suit him, although not necessarily at Cincinnati, given his form, but having done so well at the US Open, I mean, I mean, it's gonna, he's going to be difficult to beat, I think. Where does this leave Rublev? I mean, was the final just a bad day for him? Or do you think that that is going to leave a residue of reputation, of chatter in the locker room about when it comes to the really big matches, he still can't quite step up. I hope not, because I, I think it was a massive step for him beating Medvedev. I mean, he said it, didn't he? He said it was like getting a diploma from university, being able to finally crack the code to, to beat someone he'd never got a set off before. I mean, he, I don't know, was he flat? Was he nervous? Did he not have belief? He suddenly had to then get himself back up after all the energy he must have used against Medvedev and I mean it'll be interesting when we hear his interview to to see what what his analysis is off it I mean I hope it doesn't because I think he's made steps forward you know he hadn't been able to get 
to a final of uh, Masters 1000. He's done two now this year in Monte Carlo and and here. So they're big steps for him. The match against Medvedev as well. So hopefully he'll focus on the positives rather than just this match today. You see, the impression I get from the two weeks we've had of Toronto and Cincinnati, it's confirmed something that was shaping up the whole year. And that is that the next generation behind Federer Nadal, Djokovic, and at the moment it's only Djokovic because Federer Nadal aren't playing for the rest of the year. But that generation is now quite clearly headed by Medvedev, Zverev and Tsitsipas. They've been in um, through the four last Grand Slam finals. You know, you can count Rublev and maybe Berrettini up there as well, given uh, their recent performances. But certainly Medvedev, Tsitsipas and Zverev are the next group that are challenging Djokovic and will challenge him most, I think, at the US Open. I agree with you. I mean, it's going to be intriguing, isn't it? I mean, it's difficult to, to bet against Djokovic, but certainly these guys, A, they've played a lot of matches on the hard courts in these conditions, so they're used to it. B, they're full of confidence and they've they've done a lot of winning. So they're certainly going to be outgunning for that spot to perhaps play Djokovic if he does make the final. I mean, I know we're all presuming he's going to, but stranger things have happened. It's going to be interesting to to see who's going to get through to the final if it's if it's going to be uh, Djokovic and then who the other player is going to be. Who do you think Djokovic's biggest challenges are at the U.S. Open? That's a, an, a great question, isn't it? I mean, see, I would rank them Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas in that order because I actually think that Medvedev and Zverev have come out of Toronto and Cincy better than. Uh, Tsitsipas. I know that they both won the titles, whereas Tsitsipas has two semi-finals, but I felt that there were too many matches that Tsitsipas could have won. I mean, in particular, the Opelka and the um, uh, Zverev match, match, which he didn't. And that actually, if you're going to be challenging for Grand Slam titles, you've actually got to be winning those kind of matches at tour level. I agree with you, and I agree with those three names as well. And and in that order. I mean, Medvedev, until that match against Rublev, I mean, he'd hardly lost any games. I think it was 12 games in the three matches before the match against Rublev. And we can't forget the incident when he ran into the camera because that was a game changer. So hopefully, first and foremost, his hand is OK. But secondly, I mean, I think he would have won the title had he have got past Rublev with the way that he was playing, even against Zverev. And I, I think, you know, if he can put that incident behind him going into the US Open, I do think he's the most dangerous threat against Djokovic, given the way that he plays. He's very happy with a lot of balls in court. He's also got the firepower. He's conserved big as well. And, you know, he's put himself in those positions before. Zverev... I mean, having made the final last year, he's going to be going in with uh, a lot of confidence, isn't he? And I mean, he wasn't far away from two points away from, from winning it, winning the title there. And you know, the amount of matches he's he's won, that's got to have given him a boost. It's going to be really intriguing. It, it is, and you know, it, it's going to be interesting the first few rounds for Djokovic as well because he's not played for a while. No. So, what else has stood out for you in this uh, past week? It's been an amazing week. It really has. I mean, I think the one player that has really stood out and it's great to see him back enjoying his tennis, being in front of the crowd and having a little more freedom is Benoit Paire. He he had some great wins, didn't he? He had some epic matches, beat Kexmanovic in the opening round. He then was able to beat 
um, Shapovalov. I mean, that was an epic. He then came through in another epic against Isner, and, and then it was that three-set match against Rublev. And, I mean, he is such a talent, isn't he? And it's been tough to watch at times, to be honest. You know, he, he has really struggled, so it's fantastic to see him out there enjoying his tennis. Murray, for me as well, I mean, he played a lot better than he did on the grass, which he admitted himself he was moving really well and you know the fact that that he was able to to get through against Gasquet and then that match against Hercatch who just played better let's be honest in that one but I think Murray looking fit and healthy and and actually looking happy with his performance which was great to see yeah which he's very very hard on himself one other name that I'll just throw in there and that is the Gael Monfils I I felt that he was back to some form he's 34 so you know if he's got to do something he's gonna to have to do it fairly soon but uh, he, he wasn't at his best in terms of health, he, I think he threw up a little bit in, uh, early in the second set against Rublev. But he was competitive against Rublev, and I thought he looked good. I agree, and the same in Toronto. I mean, he's hardly won any matches as well. Similar to, to Benoit Paire, he, sh he struggled with, uh, with the um, restrictions that, that COVID has is, brought is us and being able to play in front of a crowd. And, I mean, he was hitting the ball big, wasn't he? I think it was unfortunate there that physically he was struggling because my money was on him, you know, for a lot of that match. But Rublev doing a good job coming through that one. So I think he's, he's going to perform well at the US Open as well. Well, it's easy to say at the end of a tournament, oh, wasn't it a great week? But uh, even though the final wasn't great, and we often remember tournaments by the finals, I think we've had a very, very good week at the Western and Southern Open at Cincinnati. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. We'll have a bit more from Chris and Lucy later in the show, but another man doing well recently off the back of a fantastic run of tournament titles at the 250 level is Norway's Kasper Rude. He's coached by his father and former tour player Christian. Rude fell to Sasha Zverev in the quarterfinals in Cincinnati, but he's full of confidence and he's got a drive to go even further. That's a point that our reporter Mike Cation made as they had a conversation. I think just, you know, the, the fact that I love competing has been a big factor to that. You know, any time I stepped on the practice, I also told myself that I wanted to improve something and try to become a better player than when I, you know, when I stepped off the court, I wanted to be a better player than when I stepped on it. So I think those two were, were key things for, to my motivation and my drive when I was young. And, you know, I would do a lot of hours, you know, just playing, you know, points from underneath from the baseline against, you know, older kids and challenging them. And, uh, you know, just I, I wanted to play points all the time and to, to, to win, of course. And I lost many, many times in my uh, in my childhood and when I grew up. But I always wanted to get my revenge. And uh, uh, and uh, that was something that was good for my drive and my type of, uh, you know, game and the way I play the sport is very much based on intensity and you know good footwork and being focused and, and disciplined you know many many points in and out so that's I guess uh, been the uh, yeah small key to uh, to what what's been going well for me and obviously we're, we'll get to what has been going well I, I wonder if three four years ago you had that same sort of understanding that you're going to have those bad moments uh, especially within matches and what it would mean to you later on in your career. Did you have that understanding or were you a little bit too young? I think I was a bit too young, like at, at, that, that, at uh, that age. Um, 
you know, when I was 12, 13, that's kind of when I told my dad that I wanted to become a professional tennis player. At that point, I didn't know what, what it all meant, but I wanted to, you know, be as good of, of a player as I, I could be. And, uh, you know, already from back then, we started, you know, doing good, good sessions, good practices. And he was very disciplined with me also. My father, he kept me focused and kind of I think it was a good thing to have both as him as my father and also my coach because he stayed around me all the time and that's kind of you know what we do on tour you know on tournaments your coach is around you all the time so either that's your if you're if that's your father or not that uh, that's individual for all players but uh, you know even though I'm still young and uh, only 22 years old I think I've been living you know a professional tennis player life for you know closer to seven eight years already with him being around and we doing all the practices and stuff we've done through the years so I think I owe a lot of uh, my young success so far to him and uh, my my willingness to, to to listen to him mental focus though winning three straight tournaments in three weeks that is a that's a different beast no matter the level and, and how how were you able to stay focused on each individual match especially when i'm i'm sure with that many matches in a short period your body is also fatigued in some way shape or form yeah no definitely i think you know ball in sweden where it kind of all started that was a great week i played great tennis uh, from the first point to the last uh, i won uh, many many good matches in a row and then that's kind of built my confidence you know to come back on the clay and then there were two more weeks uh, you know I was luckily in in those two following tournaments I was seeded so I had a buy in the first round yeah. so you know after any tournament you you feel like I said or like you said the fatigue and a little bit pains here and there that can you know need some some days to recover and that's what I got you know in between the tournaments so that was really nice to get those uh, two three days between uh, the final uh, of, of Bostad before I started in Gestad and also the same after Gestad before starting in Kitzbühel and those days were key I think for me and you know rebuilding my focus rebuilding my motivation and you know when I started the last tournament in Kitzbühel you know I just tried to think that none of it happened uh, none of the two weeks before happened and, I, and this was the week to kind of uh, bring out the A game. Of course, I felt a bit more tired and fatigued there than maybe Ballstad where I was, you know, completely fresh, but uh, I was able to pull through and a bit lucky in the last tournament, I saved the match point on the way to the title. So in many close matches, so everything kind of went my way those three weeks. And uh, yeah, I was also able to take care of the chances I got. It, it seems though, as we talk about those moments in practice early when you're 12, 13, that's the kind of thing that comes back during those weeks, doesn't it? Because you ha you can't have an off day if you're going to be winning three tournaments <laughs> in three weeks. Yes, no, definitely. It's been like I said, I've been living this professional life for a long time already, even though my career is still young and still on the way, hopefully up. So, uh, you know, certain points and certain rallies come down to what you did when you're 12, 13 years old, you know, to just try to make a lot of balls in, play with good margins, you know, if you go for uh, lifting the ball a little bit higher, maybe, you know, some, what some players would, you know, some people maybe, maybe call a pusher or, you know, these moon balls that you play when you're young can be effective also on tour, especially when you're playing defense on clay, they can be quite uh, effective. So. Those things have uh, stayed uh, stayed with me for many years and uh, hopefully can bring me more success in the future also. Obviously, uh, the, the drama with Mr. Kyrgios and when we talk about your professional approach to things, it's obviously a, a bit different between the two of you. And I, I wonder how 
you have come to an understanding of how so many different personalities, so many different approaches to the game, how it all fits to make this tennis world grow and survive. Yeah, no, I think, like you said, everyone, or like I also said, you know, a couple of uh, minutes ago, you know, how everyone is individual, how everyone is doing their thing. So some like to do this, some like to do that. Um, so that's, you know, also the beauty about the sport. There are different play styles. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not, you know, the, the guy that plays the big flashy shots or the trick shots or all these things. But, you know, whatever works for me is going to work for me. And I play the way I like to play and then the, the, the way I feel more comfortable on playing. And that's also, like I said, the, the beauty about this sport. You have, you know, the perfect example with Nadal and Federer that play very different, but they've shown us great tennis and great match matchups throughout the past 17, 18 years. So uh, that's the entire time you've been alive, really, since you yeah, can actually since, remember. Since I was started watching TV on uh, tennis on TV, those two were the guys to look up to and they're still around. So it's uh, incredible to experience and incredible to be as to get a small be, be able to be a small uh, uh, you know, be on, in the same area for a small uh, or a couple of years with them. So those are the guys that I think all the young guys now I've looked up to, and also Djokovic, of course. It's uh, we need to also mention him, and he's also been a part of the incredible success of tennis uh, in general. So that's uh, something that you know hopefully can also stay in the future, and I think it is. You know, you have. Uh, Tsitsipas, you have Medvedev, those who play quite different tennis, you have Zverev, you know, everyone have their own technique, their own way of doing things, and it uh, will hopefully stay that way for many years. One of the great stories of the week in Cincinnati was the progression of the unseeded doubles pair, Steve Johnson and Austin Krychek. The Americans made it all the way to the final, where they fell to Marcel Granollers and Horatio Zabayos. They picked up their second Masters 1000 title of the year and fourth overall. Mike Cation spoke with Krychek, who was fresh off his experience at the Olympics in Tokyo. There, he teamed up with Tennis Sandgren. They narrowly missed out on glory in the bronze medal playoff. That was the initial focus of their conversation. It was actually extremely devastating, uh, to be quite honest. But, um, no, I mean, I'm super proud to, to be able to represent my country and have the opportunity to play the Olympics. That was always a dream of mine uh, growing up. So even just to go honestly was an honor so to be there the whole team experience and um, you know tennis and I played some great tennis all week we had a bunch of great matches so you know if you would have told me uh, going into the week that we would have been in the semifinals and have two looks uh, for medals I would have taken that a hundred percent so you know we put ourselves in with an opportunity and, and that's really all you can ask for so as devastating as it was it was, it was really a, a great experience still and I'm, I'm uh, super honored that I got the chance to do it. What was the village situation like for you guys? And how, um, you know, it is obviously an Olympics unlike any other. How did you deal with kind of the, the fact that there weren't fans cheering all of that atmosphere? Totally different. I mean, um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's an awesome thing just to, to be there, but it was different um, with no fans. Um, we thought there was going to be 50% right up until about a week beforehand. So um, unfortunately, I mean, Tokyo is such a great city. We, we play a tour event there every fall. So we, I, I really love Tokyo um, and the fans are educated there. They love tennis. It would have been an awesome event if they would, you know, even if the 50% would have been great. But um, unfortunately it wasn't. Um, so it's different. Obviously we were COVID testing every day. Um, little things like that were a bit annoying, but you know, that's, that's kind of the world we live in at the moment. So we, we made the best of it. I, we actually didn't stay in the village. We um, were there several times before the opening ceremony and just to experience it. But we stayed at a hotel kind of downtown with uh, men's and women's basketball and, and um, women's soccer as well. So 
I mean, I, I thought the USTA, the, the USOPC, they did a fantastic job of making us feel like um, as team-oriented as it could be without being in the village. I mean, we did a lot of things together and, um, and we're spoiled and, and quite frankly, the food <laughs> at our hotel was, was off the charts. So that was a big advantage for us as opposed to some of the village stuff. It wasn't, um, you know, it was a cool experience, a lot of people around and that obviously is, is part of the battle there um, or part of the cool thing about the Olympics. But the food wasn't quite um, amazing there to say the least, but um, we, were, we were quite spoiled all week. So. It's obviously, again, like I said, quite different than any other Olympics. Did you get to network engage with any of the other athletes even though you weren't in the village the, the yeah. basketball players soccer players right I mean, it was different because um you know i was explaining that to a couple of the guys uh here actually was normally obviously when you approach some of the basketball players or, or other sports you know there's always a little bit of a guard there um but it was cool there because they've you've got some built-in respect there so i feel like a lot of the players kind of like well these guys must be somewhat good you know <laughs> if they're here um you know part of team usa so we were able to at least be like, hey man, what's up? How's it going? When do you guys play? You know, stuff like that. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. I, I, I liked that part of it quite a bit. And we weren't in the village a lot, but before the opening ceremonies and when we did the walk and everything, the, um, you know, everyone was, was you know, very talkative. And we, we met a bunch of different, um, you know, canoers and some archery stuff, which is really cool. Um, you know, I, I respect those guys a lot. Um, so you know, just seeing the different sports, stuff that you never would get be, you know, get to be around was was pretty cool. You know, that was that was great. And then in terms of just this idea of looking forward, I know it's only three years away yeah. towards the next Olympics. Is that kind of that experience you want to get back to just so you can have the full capacity experience? It would be great. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think after that experience, a big goal of mine going forward is, gonna, is to make the team in Paris again. Um, you know, it's tough. There's, there's a lot of great American guys. And, you know, there were a few guys that didn't choose, chose not to go this time um, with how difficult the restrictions were and stuff. So... You know, I've got a lot of um, a lot of work to do to get my ranking to where um, you know I'd, I'd make the team, but it would be a huge goal of mine, and, and I'd love to, to be back um, on the on the team in Paris. I mean, just it's a different vibe being on Team USA, and you know we had a, a big crew of 20 people plus, and, and it's just different team atmosphere. Obviously, in tennis, we don't get to do that very often, besides college tennis um, and maybe Davis Cup. But besides that, you're out there alone, and you might have one coach or a trainer with you, but it's not quite the same team feel. So that was awesome. Yeah, what were those meals like? Uh, what were kind of just the get-togethers like? Yeah, really cool. I mean, we had uh, one of the floors kind of for us, and we had a team room at the end. So we would all, you know, if we came back late or something, we'd all order room service and, and all order the team room, and we'd have a big group in there, 15 people or so. And it was just um, a great group of guys, I mean, and girls. I mean, all of our, um, the whole team was, I mean, just, just great people. I think we all got along really well, and which makes a big difference. Um, so, you know, it was, it was cool to build some of those friendships that, you know, maybe we don't get to talk as much on the tour in this scenario here, like in Cincinnati. But um, in that um, in that scenario, we were all together and, you know, on the same schedule, watching each other's matches and practices and stuff. And it was, it was a great vibe. I really enjoyed it. Where do you think you've grown the most um, in, in terms of your play over the last couple of years obviously some really good single success early in your career final in memphis uh it was a few years ago uh, on the single side where do you think you've grown most though to allow you to have these new highs on the double side yeah um tennis is a tough sport i mean it's just uh it's brutal it beats you up every week um there's not many sports where you you lose as much as you do in <laughs> tennis i mean it's, it's honestly i think the mental side is is more important than anything else and, and staying healthy obviously is huge as well but um but yeah, the mental side, just having the experience, being around the 
the top guys and, and continuing to put in the work and, and moving on to the next week every every time you you know have a tough loss. But just being around the top guys and, and seeing how you can compete with them and, and beat them, um, you know, it just takes time. There's really no shortcut for that. So, you know, I feel like I've, I've tried to do a good job of, of having a lot of perseverance and, and pushing through the tough setbacks and, and just trying to stay there and, and continue to improve um, the stuff I can control. And, um, you know, I mean, I've still got a lot of... Um, a lot of goals that I haven't um, really come close to to, um, to accomplishing yet, but um, I think you know if I keep putting myself in a position sooner or later, I'm going to come through hopefully on something. So um, it, the, the British doubles players have talked for, to me for years about Louis Caille, who's been a guy who's been able to really push several British doubles players to the top of the rankings. Is there somebody like that in the U.S. or, or you know, why isn't there somebody like that yeah. who's really kind of pushing in that regard? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, Louis had so many good players, successful guys, um, you know, and he's maximized a ton of guys' careers. You know, that you know, that's maybe not be the most talented guys, but they just play you know perfect tennis, put themselves in a position to be successful. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, Bob and Mike are obviously a huge inspiration for uh, for the American guys. Um, but I mean, we don't, you know, necessarily have someone, you know, focusing on dubs there. So, you know, that's an area of improvement. You know, we can have here in the U.S. for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, I would say the Bryans are just just a, two great guys that everyone can look up to, and they've been, you know, my um, idols in the, in the doubles world for sure for a long time, and, and close friends as well. So, um, you know, you can't get much better examples than that. So, hopefully, you know, they'll be around the game and maybe help some of us guys coming up as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to ask this without it sounding bad. Are they accessible to you? You know what I mean? They, they've sure. been such stars, and now they're trying to right. do a little bit more outreach. Are they accessible in terms of the minute details that are needed to improve somebody like yourself? I would say so. I mean, yeah. I mean, luckily for me, I, I've been friends with them for a long time and, and rented from rented from Mike for a while. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I do talk to Mike on the phone here and there and text, and he's always been super helpful with little things. I mean, when I was struggling some the last couple of years, um, you know, he, he's been a really positive influence on me. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I hope they continue to make themselves um, as accessible or more accessible. But, you know, um, it just, I guess, depends on <laughs> the USDA and, you know, what kind of things they can put in place there. I, I hope that's the case, though. A couple of years ago, you and I had a conversation, and you admitted to me that your your fitness at the time was was not the best. I remember this little stretch where you were struggling yeah. a little bit, and now you're in this process where I believe I was told you're doing a 200 mile ultra marathon. Is that is that accurate? Not quite 200. Not but quite. That, that okay. would be the long term goal. But okay. Yeah, I've gotten into running quite a bit, and in some of the ultra scene, um, the the 200 mile races are, are down the road, I think, a bit, but. Um, there is a 100K race coming up, which is about 62 miles, um, okay. kind of late in September that, that we'll probably partake in. But, um, yeah, I've just um, kind of gotten, um, I don't would say obsessed or, or really liking that world. Uh, I think it's more of a mental outlet um, for me. So that's been fun. Um, it's something different and to take your mind off things. And um, But, yeah, it's a okay, crazy. But <laughs> let's, let's be honest here, Austin. 62 miles, yeah. uh, listen, I, I think... Everyone who's listening has probably knows somebody who's done a marathon, right, or a half marathon, and they know the physical toll it can take on somebody. You are a top-notch professional athlete, right? You're in incredible shape, but it will take a physical toll on you. Yes, yeah. How do you combine 62 miles, 100 kilometers of racing with a tennis schedule? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You, you have to be a bit smart about it. There's no doubt about that, um, you know, leading up to big tournaments, Grand Slams. Um, obviously, but um, you know, for me, I think 
at a certain point, the running, there's a, there's a switch over from where it's obviously very physical and it beats up your body. And there's a certain point where it becomes nothing to do with physical and it's all mental. Um, and I think, you know, it's around that 20 mile-ish mark where you start to, um, you know, you're going to be hurting no matter what. So no matter how well you prepare, you're going to be hurting and, and it becomes 100% mental. So for me, I've really enjoyed that part of it where you, you have to push yourself. You're, there's going to be a lot of times where you doubt that you're going to finish and you, you are sure that you can't. But if you keep going, I mean, there's always another gear there. And it's amazing to me how much more... Uh, humans are capable of than they think and and a, and a lot of it just comes back to the way you think so I, I really enjoy that aspect of it and think it's a good um, good outlet for how tough the situation is. I mean obviously COVID has been a curveball for everybody and the way we the traveling and the bubbles and stuff I mean it, it's difficult for sure so that's given me something to focus on and, and kind of have a have an out I guess. So. I, I want to get to the mental part of that sure. in a second but in terms of the training I've done half marathons. Yeah. I know what the training is like for that. How, how do you possibly train properly for a 62-mile run in the midst of this schedule? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just doing doing something every day. I mean, it's more about the consistency of it. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just discipline. Um, at home, it's a lot easier than on the road. I mean, to be honest, this week, luckily, we can walk outside and stuff. But um, in some of the bubbles, it's been tough. You're stuck on a treadmill, which is kind of staring at the wall it's not great um but but for me running outside i actually quite enjoy that so it's been cool actually in these different cities um like belgrade for example we were able to run outside and, and t you get to see different things i mean stuff that i never really would have seen before um at these tournaments um in paris and stuff by the water and you just you get to run around and it's like oh man you know the city's actually pretty cool and there's a lot of different sites and stuff you can see while you're while you're exercising at the same time are you a map my run guy uh, uh to try and get that pass so you're able to see some of the sites yeah no i'll, I'll um yeah i'll, I'll run around and, and see some of the cool stuff um yeah what do you mean map like on, yeah because like, there's an app map my run oh, where you can actually map around a city oh, cool. and get the proper distance that. that you need. I just kind of use my polar watch and, okay. and just, just run until I until I meet my... <laughs> and then yeah. I might end up in some different city. Exactly. But No, I, I definitely do that yeah, sometimes. So you talked about this mental aspect of, yes. of 20 miles and then it's just the, the right. mental thing clicks in. How has that helped you in terms of your tennis? Um, I, I think it has, yeah. I mean, it, it helps you just the fact that you can push past certain points where you think that um, you can't. Um, obviously in doubles the physical part of it isn't going to come into play as much especially in this format where we're playing no ad and tiebreakers in the third but um but there are a bunch of points you know where you feel like um, things aren't going your way and, and you kind of get the the woe is me mentality a bit and, and you don't push through and i think that you know that uh maybe the you know maybe it's not the healthiest thing but the enjoyment of the pain of running you know being out there for three hours you know it, it makes the other things not seem so bad you know so that's helped me a bit you know it probably sounds a bit crazy but uh <laughs> but yeah definitely um you know a lot of people maybe not understand that but um it's one of those things that until you do it i mean you don't really quite quite get a grasp on it but yeah for me it's just been that aspect of like eh, this isn't so bad you know out here playing and you know the humidity and stuff out here you've only been on the court though for an hour and 20 minutes like uh you know it's, it's a bit harder when you're you know 35 miles deep and it's 90 <laughs> degrees outside so um yeah that for me that's the advantage i would say and the theme of ultra marathons in training was top of mind for this discussion between commentators chris bowers and former player lucy all who's now become an ultra marathon runner when i stopped playing the goal was to do an iron man and i was traveling i went straight into coaching i actually found it really difficult to be able to swim and and bike 
when traveling obviously use the stationary bike but actually finding a pool so i focused on running i did about five london marathons and i was trying to get the goal of um getting inside three hours 15 I, three of them i got to three hours 18 and it was just killing me just having to having this clock the pressure of that just trying to reach my goal so i then turned to the ultra marathons which technically is basically anything that's over a marathon is then deemed uh, an ultra. Oh, so it's not like it's a fixed sort of 100 no, kilometers, 62 be, miles? No, it can be anything. So the first one I did on um, the Devon coastline, um, I did um, 59 miler, Port Isaac to Clavelli, right. which is some of it you're climbing. So we started at, at midnight on um, Port Isaac Beach, Pebble Beach. And this is in the southwest of England. Yeah, there's yeah. about 50 of us, and they basically said, just keep the sea on your left. So that was the instruction. <laughs> so off you go, head torch on, and we weren't too long into it. And quite Didn't fall quickly, off some cliff, did well, you, the way? pretty much I did. You spread out, and I was... I research I, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing I just saw it and thought right I'm going to give it a go and I'd researched about the head torches so I wanted to get the lightest one unfortunately the lightest one isn't very bright so I, I couldn't really see at all and I just remember I just found myself going the wrong way in a field and then you just lose your bearings you have no clue where you are so I just stop and I can see some lights down so, I don't know, to this day, I don't know what I climbed down. I that was a lighthouse or a something town? And no, it was, it was two runners. Oh, okay. So, um, I got in the middle of these two runners and then I was able to, we were able to pace each other and, and move through. I, then there was another spell, only 25 finished. I don't think they've ever had the run again. So, that was my, my first one. I've done, there's a 24-hour one where you do a 10K loop, as many laps as you can, but just... What, you run non-stop for 24 hours? Yeah, it's just... You just, don't even take a five-minute break or something? Well, you, you can grab food and fuel, but obviously it's a race, so the more you stop, then the less distance you, you're going to be able to cover. I mean, there's some mental races out there, but, I mean, in a way, the same as Austin, I wish that I'd actually done it when I played because it, it just takes you to other places and, and mentally you find out where your limits are and you, you suddenly understand that you can push yourself further than you ever dream you could. And it was intriguing. It's totally different to doing a marathon where you maybe go, I mean, obviously, first few marathons you're trying to finish, but then it does become about the time. Okay, I know you use the term figuratively, but you said it takes you to totally different places. What sort of places? So just, I mean... I'm sure everyone can relate to, you know, if you you want to go for a run, but the thought of doing it and you, you don't want to. And so you either make that decision, don't you? Whether you get up and you, you go and run. And then when you're What you're running, saying is you start running and it never stops. So you so don't have to make the decision. Well, there's that. But you, when you're running, if you're going through pain, the mind is going, you've got the voice in your head that's saying, stop, stop. Yeah. tap out, stop. In my mind, I was like, right, that's not on the table. So... What, to stop? To stop. So that there's no option of that. And if you're doing that. your body some serious damage? So No, I mean, if I stop, it's because I've passed out. So I made that decision. It sounds extreme, but actually you then don't have that dilemma. So you're actually in a much better place. You can enjoy the experience and you're more relaxed. So you actually push yourself out of the comfort zone and then you do it again and then you do it again. Then you go, 
oh, actually, I can do this, I can do this, and then you keep going. And, uh, you know, it, it worked for me. And I think what Austin was saying there is, you know, he goes on the match court now, and because he's been through those tough moments, it almost seems easier when, he, when he's out playing and he's not putting as much, much stress on himself, he's not doubting himself. And I mean, it's obviously really worked for him. But is that because he wants, I'll bring up today with the score actually, just because uh, you're hearing this, this, the, uh, the matches in the background. Uh, Benoit Pair has broken John Isner. He uh, broke him to love in the opening game of the uh, final set. It's 3-1 Pair at the moment, but having a very, very long fifth game. It's juice at the moment on the Isner serve. But I, I just want to follow up a little bit on this because uh, is what uh, you and Austin Krychek and others are saying that if you actually push yourself so far, the, the hardest that tennis will ask of you is very much within your manageability zone. Yes, I, th I think so. That That's my belief. I obviously started it once I'd stopped playing. Uh, I do do some of the the vets matches for, for GB so I, I do will put myself back out on the match court and it, it definitely helped me I'm much more relaxed on the court I not, don't stress as much I don't panic in certain situations because you've been over that line and, and as I say it's trying to get to the point I mean he talked about you know marathon 5k those it is more physical but you get to the point where the clock's not there it's about finishing and if you've made the decision I'm going to finish this. Then you can focus just on the process. And as I and as I said, but it's not an option to stop. So even if I walk, crawl, we're going to get to the finish. So I'm not then having this argument or dilemma with the voices in my head about that. So then you can absorb yourself in actually, you know, in a basic term, one foot in front of the other. And you go, you 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 find that. that I mean, we don't use. We probably use a tenth of what our body's capable of. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that, uh, however much you say it to people, everybody's got to go through their own experience 100%. where they realise that uh, they have more reserves than they ever think they have. When they feel tired, they still have a massive reserve tank of energy. That's right, and it's everyone's own journey, and that's the thing. I think it's really important that, you know, it's it's trying to get away from comparing to other people and times and judgment and it's your journey and if your journey is to be able to walk to the end of the road and back and that's a challenge then you know that's your goal and rather than a lot of people don't make that first step because they think well I'm not going to be able to do what that person did and I think that's what, where I found it really enjoyable having obviously in tennis you're playing against someone and there's a result every point there's a an outcome and with the running particularly the ultra it's just you and being able to finish it or not and that's the challenge so is it fair to say that I mean, some people find themselves in situations where they are severely tested and they either come through or they don't on hopes that most cases they do what you're saying is that doing ultra marathons is a way of actually forcing you into that experience without letting fate deal you a situation that might actually be quite life-threatening for me definitely and i think listening to to austin there he's he's felt the same thing as well it, it might not tick everyone's box but I think in terms of what you're saying you know people go through all sorts of different things you suddenly then find out what you're capable of and that definitely you know however tough those situations are 
they do help you in in future life. Because you're talking about it almost philosophically, almost sort of um, the way some people will talk about a religion, really, that it actually takes you to a different uh, level of consciousness. I found it fascinating because it took me into an area that, I mean, as I say, I wish that I'd done some of it, obviously not maybe as extreme. So how differently would you have played tennis, do you think? I mean, you talk about being a bit more relaxed on court now when you play, but if you'd done this in your playing days, like Austin Krajicek is doing, how different a player would you have been? Not talking about results, what would you have done differently on a tennis court? So, uh, diff- totally different perspective, being able to stay in the moment, being able to when, because, I mean, when we see the players, you know, whether they're smashing the racket or they're annoyed with the noise or someone, um, their opponent or the umpire and they they start diverting where their focus should be that's because they feel uncomfortable and their opponent is actually doing things to them that they know they're probably going to maybe lose and it's it's that reaction and we've all been there and i mean i i did it certainly as a player but when i've been in the ultra races because the option is not stopping it's then just in that moment and that moment is literally left right left right you you keep going that's meditative isn't it yeah and 100 yeah. percent. and you can relate back and i mean that's why the players get frustrated on court is because they're not having things their they're own not way. running 100 kilometers well they're not yeah <laughs> but it's yeah i mean as i say i mean i i think it's it's a, it's amazing what he's doing and how he spoke there and and i relate to the fact he's saying you probably think i'm mad He's taken so much from it, and it will contribute to the success he has in his doubles and the length of time that he has in the doubles because it's been able to tell, take him to a, a different place. I'll just give you a score on this one. It's uh, pair one, that long game, so he's a double breakup at 4-1. Okay. Is there a danger that if you are, say, super fit, having done ultra marathons or, or whatever, and you're on a tennis court, that it actually it changes your tactics because you know that you are so much fitter than the opponent. And therefore, instead of putting the ball away, you might play a drop shot to make your opponent run on the basis of, well, if it takes me two and a half hours to win this match, I know that he or she is going to tire before I am. Definitely. And I mean, that is where, for me, Particularly, well, both men's and women's, it's a physical sport. The fitter you are, the more mentally strong you are. They go hand in hand. And, you know, that's where I can never understand. Look, you're in control of being as fit as you can and being able to move on the court. You can do that. And you get two for one, I always think, because... You know, if you're on the treadmill or on the track doing a, a tough session, you ultimately it's your mindset, whether you make that decision to do it, whether you push yourself out of the comfort zone, it's from the mind. So not only are you getting that benefit, you're getting the benefit of making yourself fitter. So then you put that onto the match court and tactically you're aware of what your game style is. Obviously, you then need to be technically sound to be able to pull off those tactics. But then you've got the whole package, which is what's fascinating about tennis. So I, I find it amazing when players aren't as fit as they can be. And you know, we'll often hear, won't we, when a, a player's suddenly done well, it'll be, it won't be down to, oh, yeah, I just made some adjustments on my forehand. It'll be down to something physical or mental. And they, they, they work together. So, so you, yeah, I just think, get yourself as fit as possible you're giving yourself the best chance yes then you have to add on top but that's your base level 
So that's it for another week, but join us next Sunday. We'll look ahead to the final major of 2021, the U.S. Open. We'll have even more exclusive interviews for you. But for now, from me, Brian Clark, thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis.